are listening to Toolbox of the Trades, brought to you by Service Titan, a podcast for top service professionals where we interview leaders for their best tips and tricks of the trades. Learn how industry trailblazers stay ahead of the competition and how you too can be at the forefront of an industry. Let's jump in. Hello, contractors, and welcome to the Toolbox for the Trades. It's me, Jackie Abel, Content Marketing Manager at Service Titan, champion of the trades, and host of the podcast. In this episode, we're going to highlight the number one lesson we learned from each guest this season, which we conveniently turned into a downloadable ebook that you can access for free by going to servicetitan.com slash toolbox tips. You can find the link in our show notes. But before that, I want to take a moment to share that Toolbox for the Trades is taking a summer vacation. Don't worry, we're coming back. In fact, we're going to use the summer months to record brand new episodes featuring new guests and topics to help you grow, scale, and maybe even sell your business. Starting Tuesday, September 1st, you'll find a brand new Toolbox interview in your podcast feed. That is, of course, if you subscribe to the podcast, which you're a subscriber, right? Okay, just just making sure. But, you know, in case you don't know, make sure to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or, or wherever you get your podcasts. Honestly, we're podcast aggregator agnostic on Toolbox for the Trades, but we do encourage that you subscribe so you don't miss out on the cool stuff we're going to share with you over the summer. Oh, wait, you thought that because we're taking a summer break, we're going to go silent for two whole months? We wouldn't do that to you. In fact, we're partnering up with some of our past guests to share quality audio content on this podcast feed every other week in July and August, starting Tuesday, July 7th. In the meantime, keep in touch with us by joining the Toolbox for the Trades community on Facebook. A lot of our past guests are members, and I know they'd love to meet you. Okay, that was a long intro, so let's get to the recap episode, shall we? Remember, you can download the ebook companion for today's episode by going to servicetitan.com slash toolbox tips. Enjoy! We kicked off Toolbox for the Trades with the CEO of Gettle Air Conditioning and Plumbing and the co-author of the E-Myth HVAC Contractor, Ken Goodrich. Here's what he had to say on leadership and how he's evolved as a leader throughout his impressive and at the beginning quite tumultuous trade career. For me, screwing up my own family business so fast and fixing it, I kind of became a, a, a turnaround expert in the industry. And, and the only, really, the only reason why I did it, I mean, I was young, I was in my, I was 25, 26, 27. But the reason why, main reason I did it is because I couldn't go bear to tell my mom that I had crashed the family business that my dad ran successfully for 20 years. And so I couldn't stop. I had to get through it. So, you know, I think some of that determination and grit has certainly was taught to me by my dad, but certainly going through that challenge has uh, is a big part of my leadership in that I am, my goal is to make everybody that comes in, into my organization better, you know, a better leader, better technician, better person, more determined person, a better father, you know, just not have any limits and not have any boundaries and understand how to break through boundaries. My, obviously my leadership style has evolved for those of you who know me back 20 years ago, I'm probably not as kind as was probably not as kind as and gentle as I am today. And I think that happens just with 
with age and experience, right? So I would call my leadership experience, uh, some of my leadership styles are, I have an innate ability. I've, I've developed an ability to find talent. And so if someone said, what are you good at? I'd say, I'm pretty good at talent because I know where to see it and I know how to cultivate it. And I know how to, to get people thinking in the right direction for success. So I think that's part of it. I don't waver. I don't back down from a fight. I face challenges like we're having this challenge right now in the COVID. I, we face them together. I give people uh, strength to move forward. I let them do their jobs. I have, I have built the business on the systems and I train them the systems and I have taught them everybody to everything that we do is about a system. And so that if we can't develop a system and quantify the system, we just don't do it and see what else, you know, I wouldn't call myself a kind, gentle leader, but I'm not, a, but I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, tyrant either. And I'm not a taskmaster. Another thing that I, I just, I believe I naturally do. And I think it's important for, uh, any, anybody in the trades is because I know the trade so well. I mean, I've been doing it for, I don't want to date myself, but <laughs> 45 years or so. And I can relate to my people, right? I can talk to them. I know the challenges and I talk to them about the trade and I, pat them on the back and, you know, I, sh I showcase their, I call it artwork, you know, in air conditioning and plumbing, because I'm a AC plumbing guy when the pipes are straight and nice and clean and the machine's working great. I call it artwork and I call them artists. And so I make sure I mix with everybody inside the organization. And that's not always easy to do. We're getting so large now, but um, when I do, I do go to the branches regularly. I make sure that I'm talking to the, the guy that cleans the yard, to the guy that runs the warehouse, to the sheet metal guy, to the, the plumbers, to the air conditioning guys. You know, I'm, I'm mixed with everybody. Uh, I work the room. Like Ken, John Akoyan, the CEO of the $50 million West Coast Plumbing Enterprise, knows a lot about leading successful teams. He also has some invaluable tips on how to merge teams through acquisition. Here's his advice on what to expect when you acquire a business and what businesses looking to get acquired can expect from a potential buyer. Yeah, some of the issues I've had when it came to acquisitions, and we still have it up until today, you know, is the the culture. You know, a lot of times, you know, it just does not fit. Even though that we bought this small business, we, we, we were just talking about it on the way here. We've got so many people that are just, you know, they, they just don't like the change. And most people don't like change. So uh, I would say that, you know, anytime you're buying a business, understand that there is going to be change. Some people are going to leave. You know, they're not going to like, you know, the, what you're bringing to them or, you know, or, or anything else. And, and it's happened, you know, we've had maybe we've done two or three acquisitions and almost every time, you know, there's a group of people that just don't like it and they just end up going somewhere else. And you have to be able to just deal with that. We research the market. Uh, we look at, um, you know, what are, first of all, I mean, we're a service plumber. So we look at how old the homes are. We look at, uh, we, we, we don't pay a whole lot of attention to, you know, what the com 
competition looks like. But we do look at it a little bit to see, you know, who is the people that are out there? What kind of service are they providing? You know, is it a group? Of, is there a lot of small companies? Is there a lot of big companies there? We look at the age of the homes. Uh, we look at the income ratio of the homeowners. And we just, you know, we just look at the market size as well to see, you know, how big of a market. We look at the marketing. We see, you know, what kind of... Um, impact we can make, you know, where people are, what kind of radio stations are there, what kind of internet ads we could put on there. So we just look at the whole team kind of gets together and looks at it. We evaluated a bunch of different areas, you know, which ones would actually be good for us. And then we start sending out letters initially to see if we can do an acquisition. Uh, because if there's a small company, they've been, you know, they've been in the market for a while, you know, there, there is a little bit of a head start you get when you acquire a small company. We look at what the owners want out of the business, if they want to stay with us. And if they do, what do they want to do? If there's a part of the business that they're, they want to focus on to enhance and better. And then basically we just go in there and we either start from scratch or we acquire something and use that as a platform for us to grow. Both John and Ken alluded to the importance of systems and processes in their episodes, and Tommy Mello would certainly not disagree with them. Here's his take on the importance of establishing scalable systems and how being willing to change helped him go from $50,000 in debt to $30 million in revenue. The checks and balances, a system are important. And most people don't have that. I mean, a lot of people on service time that I've met are still using paper invoices. I know a guy that's doing 40 million that just switched over from paper invoices. And I'm like, how is this even possible? But, you know, I respect where anybody that gets to $40 million in revenue is doing something right. So it's just using the systems. I think the biggest game changer is when you start to automate processes. You don't need 10 people to figure out payroll. You could have a system that does it. You know, one of the things I talked about with Ara on my podcast over a year ago with him is you guys took the best specialists in the industry to come up with certain dispatching and CSR and different aspects of the business and inventory controls and how you're going to talk to QuickBooks or whatever system you're using for accounting. And Ara said a lot of companies that are small they have a spit for this and a spit for this, and they do things completely differently, and they don't want to change. Well, the day that we chose to say, we're just going to take Service Titan's way they built it and switch everything over to the systems they designed, even though our industry doesn't do it like this yet, we're going to accept the fact that there were 100, 200, 300 million dollar companies that came up with these processes, and we switched everything. Payroll takes half an hour now every other week. Our payroll is half a million dollars every other week, half an hour long is how long my COO just spends looking at it. We've got systems in place to make sure everything's accurate, but it used to take 20 hours a week. Now it takes a half an hour from every other week. So you got to make a decision. The system's designed to do something. You're going to have to make some, I wouldn't call them sacrifices, but I'd say it's change and everybody's afraid of change. And don't be afraid of change. Embrace change. After speaking to Ken, John, and Tommy, I wanted to get a woman's perspective on how to run a service business. Luckily for me, Susan Frew, owner of the boutique service shop Sunshine Plumbing Heating and Air in Denver, was willing to share her best advice on how the power of positive reviews and how they help with hiring technicians. 
deliver really awesome customer service and make sure your reviews are solid because that's how we grew our business. Like we started getting Angie's list reviews and then we would send a thank you card and brownies to almost every single customer. So we made no money the first year, but we were able to really garner that database of customers that I'm talking about. Now we have thousands and thousands of them, but if your reviews are bad, you need to find a way to fix them. First of all, respond to them and don't do it again. <laughs> so whatever the people are complaining about on your bad reviews, you need to make a conscious effort moving forward that you are going to deliver better service. And a great way to respond to a bad review is thank you for pointing that out to me. I wasn't aware that we did that, or I'm really sorry that we did that. This is a good training opportunity for next time. And you need to be honest and say, I own it you know what? We screwed up. I own it. I'm sorry. Let's move forward. Um, but that's going to be key because if you start off your business with bad reviews and you don't have a good customer service strategy that you can throw as much marketing money as you want against the wall and you're going to not get the results that you want. It also is good for attracting new talent, right? Because technicians, especially if they're on commission like mine are, they do not want to work for a company with a bad reputation because it makes it harder for them to sell something. So I go to your house and I have a bad reputation and I'm trying to sell you a tankless water heater and you're already skeptical because you've read some bad reviews online about me and my tankless water heater sales. So you want to make sure that you have good reviews because your technicians will appreciate that. It will make their job so much easier. Our technicians love when they walk into one of our existing customers' homes and we, they roll out the red carpet for us. I can confidently say that every guest we had on this season cares for their team, but Aaron Gaynor floored me with how passionate he is about his employees' growth at the Eco Plumbers. Here's what he had to say about empowering his team to reach not only the company goals, but their personal goals as well. We're very transparent with our numbers, with our, with our team. Everybody knows the daily targets that we're hitting for from a, from, you know, from a revenue standpoint, you know, what our uh, sold hour efficiency goals are for the day, whether we're winning or losing, what's the weekly targets and goals and budgets, however language you want to use. We post those numbers up. There's big display screens all around the building, out, out in the tech areas, in the dispatch rooms, call center, everywhere. So everybody knows from a, from a number standpoint, we also post, you know, our reviews, um, making sure reputation wise, we post client concern issues. We call them customers are calling out the issues. We post those up so people know and can understand At the beginning of the year. We have everybody go around and we go through how to set goals. It's a small thing. A lot of people don't have anybody sit down and talk to them about it. Right. So we have our team come together. We do a company, you know, a couple of company meetings and we have them all write their goals out. We put them in little envelopes. Like you remember how you used to do this in school back in the day and you had like that thing, you open it up, dig it up or whatever they would do long time ago. We put them in envelopes and we have them all write it down and we give them a second envelope or a second uh, card and tell them, write it down, take it with them. So they have it. So they can think about it. I'll put it in an envelope and what I'll do is I'll hold on to it for a year. And at the end of the year, I'll give it back to them to see what you accomplished. And you can have a chance to discuss it. And guys, some guys will be like, I did this and I did that. And I took care of this. I can't, I did that. I can't believe I got that done. So we just have them do simple things like that. Uh, we've done it quarterly too. And then we have them write them out for annually for a year and just giving them a time here in the office instead of the meeting being about, 
you know, you need to do this better. We need that. We need this. Hey, guys, let's spend 45 minutes just thinking about you. After hearing Aaron's approach to team empowerment, Chris Hunter, the newly christened Director of Customer Relations at Service Titan, would probably say a management style like that leads to extra mile service. Here's an example of how one of his former technicians created a customer for life and generated a ridiculous amount of referrals. Contractors have to realize that this business is a relationship business and it's all about influence. And now with the internet, with social media, that word of mouth is still alive and well, but now it's amplified. So you have to have a strategy on your social media, on reviews. You're going to live and die by your internet presence. For example, I guarantee you, if there is ever a vehicle on the side of the road, there's a good chance you see a Hunter Supertech van that pulls over and helps that customer. And one of my favorite stories was one time we had a, had a customer that called into our dispatcher said, Oh, I can't make our appointment. I got a flat tire and I can't make it back home. The dispatcher being smart calls the tech, tells them next thing you know, the tech goes over, changes her tire and then meets her back at the house for the tune up. And Oh my gosh, she, she raved to no telling how much business we ended up getting out of that. That wasn't the purpose, but it started with us having a culture that rewarded and recognized extra mile service because those relationships, they are, they're, they're the lifeblood of, of why we're even in business. While owners undoubtedly have great advice, I want to make sure we spoke with someone closer to the day-to-day operations of a service business. Eric Falkner, the GM of Dutton Plumbing, graciously donated his time to give me fantastic tips on CSR coaching and dispatching. Here are some of his most effective dispatching tips. I just really love all things dispatch and call taking. I think it's just one of those undervalued parts of our business. Everything from the the first communications with the customer, like what is the experience like when they first call into us? What kind of person do we have answering the phone? Like, is this going to be a good experience for the customer? Because it's setting the, the tone for the entire thing. It's the first impression, right? Think about the dispatcher who's sitting probably right outside your office. And if you can get them to adjust their behavior a little bit, you can dramatically increase the results of the business, not just from revenue and profit, but also customer satisfaction, employee satisfaction. And they're there, you can manage them. And usually they're looking for advice and training. I know, I know for me personally, like back in the good old days, like when I would dispatch, we had this very much like clear the board mentality. I'll send the closest texts to the closest calls. Let's get through as many calls as we possibly can. And that's typically not good for technicians. It's not good for the company and it's not good for customers. And having the dispatchers who are open to feedback, typically they're right there. You can, I'm not going to say use or control, but you can manage them a lot more effectively than a remote employee. And it's, I think one of the biggest missed opportunities in our industry, even for us, we spend a lot of time focusing on it, but we're not even anywhere near our potential. The CSRs and dispatchers in our businesses are the most important people. And they're probably also the most underappreciated and undervalued. So my challenge to everyone is just go out there and let them know you appreciate them. Let them know, you know, that they are, they're working hard for you and uh, tell them, thank you. 
If Eric Falkner was our CSR and dispatching expert on this season, Darius Livers, COO at FHFER, was our go-to financing expert. He was also a very impressive salesperson. Here's the sales mindset Darius had when he did HVAC sales for FHFER and what he shares with his sales technicians today. What differentiates me? I can't tell you that it's any secret sauce or any special training because it wasn't. But what it was is I had, a, I had a passion. I had a passion for going in and doing what no other consultants could do. I, I studied really hard. We didn't have YouTube when I started, so that was not one of my resources. But I certainly met at a lot of jobs. I watched a lot of installations. I did a lot of the things that the other consultants weren't doing, not only at FHFER, but in other companies. I really wanted to understand it, not, not just you know the equipment. I want to understand how, how the whole network comes together in a home. What was behind the walls? How does airflow get impacted by certain designs? Things of that nature, which really gave me a leg up. I had a lot of passion. I wanted to solve problems. You know, you had a you, you had a bedroom that wasn't cooling well. You had humidity issues. You you had infiltration or, or filtration problems. Whatever they were, I wanted to be the one-stop shop. I wanted to be the guy that could come in, listen to your, your concerns, your needs, your wants, and really address and customize something for you and help you solve your problems. And I, I took passion to it, and, and I didn't realize it in the beginning. But I just enjoyed it so much. I, 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 I like I being around people, so that was the easy part. But getting in there and actually solving problems differentiated me. And, and at a time where people were just doing cookie-cutter kind of installs, they still do, I was upping my game and, and really taking the time to do it. But what differentiated me was my work ethic. I was willing to put in the extra time. I was willing to do things other people weren't willing to do. I was willing to, to, to if a customer needed some reassurance, I was willing to stay as long as needed to reassure them. I would be willing to, to get into any tight space. I was willing to go anywhere and do, any, do it anyway, drive any, any time, come back on Saturday nights, Sundays to, to meet. So I just worked really hard at helping people. And uh, through helping our customers, I just found sales just started pouring in. I was never chasing the money. At the time, I really didn't have a lot of expenses. And I was making more money than, than all of my, my, my friends that were graduating out of college. You know, I was making more money than, all, than basically every friend I had that were doing it legally. <laughs> so uh, so it, was just, it was just an amazing ride. But it's, it's really just the pay, paying attention to detail. I never looked at it as, as selling anybody anything. I looked at it as me helping them. And, and through helping people and, and really enjoying it, I mean, I think my customers felt that I actually enjoyed my job. And quite frankly, whether they did business with me or not was not my end goal. I mean, naturally, I want them to go with me. But if they didn't, if I even felt like I helped them make a decision to go with somebody else, somehow that was fulfilling. Where a lot of people would take that very personal. I was just like, okay, well, not everyone's going to want to do business with me in my company. But if I helped you make a better decision going with somebody else, I've still done my job. Like Darius, Chad Peterman works at a family-run business. The only difference is that it's his family. As president of Peterman Heating, Cooling, and Plumbing, Chad built the residential side of the business from the ground up. Here's how he built a culture that continues to attract and retain the best local technicians. It all starts with as I, as I said earlier, finding great people. And so one of the big things that we have really made a commitment to is we just never stop recruiting. So we're always recruiting, always interviewing people, always have our proverbial pull in the water when it comes to finding great talent. As I mentioned briefly earlier, we're in the process later this year of, of really um, starting our bringing in our first class of students that will be teaching the trade over about 12, six to 12 months and then be setting them up in, in kind of a 
uh, maintenance technician role, uh, whether that be in plumbing or, or on the heating side. So going from recruiting to growing our own talent is kind of our next step in the evolution of, uh, of finding great people. Earlier, I was talking to somebody and, you know, everyone's big thing, especially in the trades, is there's a labor problem and we can't find any good people. And, and, and I don't believe that at all, actually. Uh, I, I feel like uh, it, it's, not a, it's not a labor problem. It's a company problem. There's plenty of great people out there and there's plenty of people in the trades to staff your company that live in your city. It's just you haven't created a place that they want to come and work. And so to me, the second part of that while recruiting is creating that place that people want to come. And the great part about it, as far as giving advice to to others is that it's very, very simple. You just care about your people and you treat them like you would want to be treated. And I know that sounds very simple, but that's what we found success in is we care about each of them and we go out of our way to make sure that they know that we care. My brother and I, you know, we go to breakfast probably two, three times a week with, uh, with an employee and they schedule it and we meet them for breakfast and just learn a little bit about them and know about them. He or I sit in on every annual review that we hold here at the company. We sit in on a, I don't sit in on all the interviews anymore, but as of probably a year ago, I did. But I make sure that if I didn't sit on the interview, I'm definitely talking to you on your first day to let you know that we're here. This is who you are. You can come find me if something's going wrong. So we utilize that. We utilize a feedback software that we, we run an a internal survey quarterly that gives us a ton of feedback on where people are struggling, where they need stuff, whether it's feedback or they feel like they're overworked or they feel like they're underworked and they can do more. Whatever it is, we do that and really analyze those results for the next quarter as to what we um, as a management team are going to work on to increase engagement in our business. That is huge for us is how do we continue to make this a place that people want to come work and not only work, but want to grow. Of course, even if you find the best technicians, you're going to have difficulty if you struggle with financials. That's where Ellen Rohr steps in. Before becoming COO of Zoom Drain, Ellen almost tanked her husband's plumbing business. Since then, she's dedicated her career to helping contractors avoid the same mistakes she did. Here's how she motivates contractors who get queasy when they hear the word balance sheet. I mean, the math is easy. So let's look look at somebody like my husband, Hot Rod, is a solar guru, a hydronics expert, world-renowned, delta T's and engineering formulas and these schematics and how all these mechanical systems work and they're moving water and electricity and fire and power and solar and all this stuff, like the amount of math and physics and science that is involved with what most contractors do is staggering to me. And the financials that apparently, and I'm being sarcastic here, seem to be so far over most contractors' heads, right, is literally sales bigger than expenses equals a profit. That is the math. So it has to be the emotional issues that keep us from doing it. Yeah. The math is not hard. You know, like it isn't the math that's keeping you from being good at your financials. But we will say that. We'll say, I'm, you know, I'm, 
I was never diagnosed this way because we didn't use words like that, but I'm kind of dyslexic. I have a hard time with numbers. I don't see things linear. I can't even speak well. (laughs) (laughs) Disagree, but you just got tongue tied for a second. But like there, I'm not naturally good at numbers or columns. I was never interested. It was that I was dying and drowning and I couldn't find anybody else to do it for me. And then when I finally just, okay, I'll do it. I realized it's kind of fun. It's kind of like a puzzle. It's better to know than not know. I started to get some, you know, when you take a course, if someone drags you along a course of study here, just let me teach you how to ski, do this. Like instead of trying to flail on your own, just take a lesson. Okay. And then you're going to be skiing and then it's really fun to be skiing. Like you start to get some feedback from success right away. And that's what happened to me. And that's why I'm so, I try to be so encouraging. It's scary. And all those emotional things will get in your way, but just have somebody sit next to you, have explain what a balance sheet and a profit loss is. That's why I wrote the book. Where did the money go? How much did I charge? Those books are just explaining what's a balance sheet, what's a profit loss, how to put a little budget and selling price together. That's all they do. And it's like that thin. And finally, none of this, this being growing a business, is possible without the right mindset. Every guest on this season of Toolbox for the Trades mentioned mindset at some point during their interview, which is why I saved my conversation with Weldon Long for last. Here's what Weldon had to say about the importance of getting in the right mindset to grow your business. If it worked for him when he got out of prison, I think it's good enough for all of us. You know, I hit my knees physically, not just metaphorically, and just like, what am I going to do with my life? How can I deal with this pain? And I decided within a few hours of my father dying, I was going to change the course of my life. And I made two very simple commitments. I was going to be a man my father could have been proud of, and I was going to be the father that that little boy deserved. And with that decision, I set out on the journey. I began, uh, my master plan was to study and find out what really successful people do and start doing that instead of the crazy stuff I'd been doing. And uh, I spent the next seven years working on that and began to learn the impact of my habitual thoughts and how those thoughts were transmitting themselves into my life and my actions. And, and I started changing my thoughts. I remember one of the first things I read was a quote from Frederick Nietzsche. Nietzsche said, we attract that which we fear. And I said, well, that's, that's just nonsense. Why would I attract the things in my life that I fear, right? So I decided just to try it, though. I started writing down everything I feared the most. And everything I feared the most was living and dying in prison, never knowing my son, being a loser, being homeless my whole life. And I realized, wow, everything I fear is happening, right? All the chaos in here is getting out. So I decided I was going to change what I think about. And I now refer to it as I started thinking about what I think about before I think about it, right? And when I understood the impact of my thoughts, and that's what this book right here over my left shoulder is, The Power of Consistency. It's about how the mindset uh, creates our, our life for better or for worse, And uh, anyway, I just started working in this process. I wrote out what a perfect life for me would look like. I put toothpaste in the back of this sheet of paper that I'd written on, stuck it in the wall of my cell and spent the next seven years meditating on it and visualizing it and acting consistently with it. And seven years later, I walked out with a whole different mindset and uh, my life was just like never the same from that point on. And so it really is really about the mindset. So much of my teaching, my speaking, my writing is about the mindset to overcome challenges, to thrive in the face of adversity. It's such an important part of business and really life in general. And that wraps it up for season one of Toolbox for the Trades. Remember, you can download a free ebook companion for today's episode by visiting servicetitan.com slash toolbox tips. 
It's filled with more information than I could ever cover in this episode. And as a bonus, it has the contractor's reading list that I've been alluding to throughout the season. I hope you guys have enjoyed listening to Toolbox as much as I enjoyed creating it. And I hope you all have a happy, safe, and profitable summer. We'll see you in September. The grit and know-how required to tackle your community's toughest jobs hasn't changed, but the way companies run their business has. Service Titan is the only field service software that was born in the trades, built for the trades. If you're interested in seeing what Service Titan can do for your business, request a demo at servicetitan.com slash trades, and we'll send you a new Milwaukee tool set, plus a free iPad when you sign up. That's servicetitan.com slash trades. You've been listening to Toolbox for the Trades, presented by Service Titan, the leading home and commercial field service software. Please subscribe to Toolbox for the Trades wherever you get your podcasts to hear all of our episodes. Want to learn more? Check out servicetitan.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening.